Amen. Can we give the Lord a round of applause? Man, awesome. Wow. They are so, so faithful in leading us each week, and so it's what great worship. Thank you guys for being here. God bless you, those who are joining us online as well. You're here. You know, I always say that, and I want to reiterate that. You know, for whatever week you had, you're sitting in God's house this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So our prayer this morning is that you will feel the presence of the Lord. I pray this morning, first and foremost, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray that you hear of the love of God and what he's done for you. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, I pray that you are encouraged in the words that we find here in God's Word. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of? Y'all are my favorite service. Take your Bible, Romans chapter eight. My favorite service, my most diligent service, and so we're gonna have some interaction this morning. Now, I'm not speaking to masks, which is an awesome thing. Those eyeballs, and let me just tell you from a preaching, from a preaching standpoint, though, I never realized you know, how much interaction there is, or at least how much I rely upon your communication, not your verbal communication, but your nonverbal communication. And so with eyeballs, it's like I would say something, I didn't know if you wanna hug me or stab me, like I had no idea. Like there's no discernment of what's happening here. And so I just, it's an awesome thing that we can gather here. And so Romans chapter eight, the title of the series is Dying to Live. So if you've been with us, we've been walking through Romans five, Romans six, Romans seven, one, Romans eight, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, expositionally taking God's word and saying, okay, what is the Apostle Paul saying to not only these believers in Rome, but to us as well. We know that we build the series upon Matthew 16. We build the series upon Matthew 16, verse 24, where the, the crowds are following Jesus and, and they're captivated. They're all about him healing and doing miracles. But then the question is asked, okay, man, what does it really mean to follow you? Like it's one thing to follow you and let you feed me and do the miracle, but what does it mean for my life to follow you? And he gives us that verse, right? If you go to Matthew 14, verse 20, uh, Matthew 16, verse 24, he says, let a man what? Let a man deny himself, dying to live, that in order to live this life that God has called us to live, there's a death that has to take place. Let a man deny himself, which is the hardest thing, and then he says what, let him take up his cross. What is that? That's the death instrument, and so what is he saying? Okay, let you deny himself initially, but now as you follow me, you continue to deny yourself, and deny yourself, and deny yourself. Take up your cross, take those old things, and nail them to the cross, and then follow me. Jesus knew how to split a crowd. Jesus knew how to clear a crowd. And so he cuts right down the middle and he says, a lot of you guys are here for the wrong reasons, for what I can do in your life. Are you willing to follow me? And we come to Romans eight and there's the promise of those who do. Take your Bibles if you would and stand with me. Romans chapter eight, we're now in this last section as we come down to verse 31 to verse 39. We're gonna kind of break it in two. Next week we'll finish it. We've been in Romans for four years, and so next week we will finish Romans, not really. I, feel, I love it. I'll stay here for the rest of the, I mean, I love, we could spend the entire, anyway, here we go. It's all based upon Philippians 1.6, that we're confident, that we're not hoping, we're not wishing, listen to this, that we're confident. What are we saying to ourselves? Who talks to you the most in the week? Yourself. You talk to yourself more than anyone else. And so the question, now that masks are off, now I'm really being revealed talking to myself, but we talk to myself more than anyone. What are we saying to ourselves? Are we speaking truth to ourselves? 
Are we speaking God's word to ourselves? Are we speaking doubts? Are we speaking fear? Are we speaking anxiety? What are we preaching to ourselves first and foremost? Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, be confident, preach to yourself confident that the one who has begun a good work in you will what? Will finish. Do we preach that? Do we preach that to ourselves? And then we come to Romans 8, man, here we go, here we go, here we go. Woo! Red Bull and coffee and the Holy Spirit, we're gonna have some fun. Here we go, Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse 31. Look at what he says. What then shall we say to these things? This is the Apostle Paul's mic drop right here. This is the Apostle Paul. He has finished his statement and he's like, what else is there to say? Well, there is more to say. He could have ended it right there. He could have ended it with verse 30 and we would have all been fine, but he's like, no, we're gonna keep going. And it becomes this like poetic praise of who God is. Look at this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then say it with me. Allow this to sink in this morning. We could spend months right there. If God is for us, then he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God. It's courtroom is what he's saying. Who could bring a charge against them? It's God's courtroom. It is God who justifies. Look at what else. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Notice four things. Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is sitting at the right hand of God and who now makes intercession for us. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're overwhelmed by this. I'm overwhelmed by this. The thought that right now my Savior is interceding for me. <laughs> that on my behalf is what that verse, on my behalf, understanding who I am, as Paul says at the end of chapter seven, oh, wretched man, every one of us in this place could fall on our face before you and say, oh, wretched person that I am, with no hope of bridging that gap between me, a simple person, and a holy God, but we stand before you because of Jesus. We stand before you because of Christ who did it for us. And we thank you that now you have promised to those who are in Christ, you save us, you seal us, you secure us. There's no one, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May that this morning ring true, Lord, I pray for someone here who has never turned their heart to you. May you do the work that only you can do to believers in this place who walked in wounded, hurting, struggling. May we hear of the God that we serve. We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Or you can stand. Colleen, I always get a laugh. If I get a laugh, it's gonna keep going. So every Sunday, you just give me one little one and I'm just gonna use it each time. I don't mind, I'll use whatever I gotta do. So Romans chapter eight, here we go. Tell the message this morning, not guilty. We're gonna kind of picture the scene in a courtroom this morning. That we are in God's court, okay, imagine this. There's God sitting at the judge. Uh, as the judge, we are being brought into the, the room and there's evidence being provided. Videos being provided, uh-oh, did I say that? Witnesses that are coming one by one, family members, friends. And we're standing in the courtroom of God and there's a ton of evidence against us. And so here's Paul saying, okay, we're gonna break this down into two things. It begins with no condemnation. That's how the chapter begins. It ends with no separation. And in this midst of verse 31 to 39, he deals with two things. He says there is no one that can separate us. That's what we're gonna deal with this morning. Next week, we're gonna look at, no, there's nothing that can separate us. And he goes through and lists all the things 
cannot separate us from the love of God. Let's begin in verse 31, look what he says. What then shall we say to what? These things. This is Paul going back to everything he's already said. And primarily what is he dealing with? Primarily he's dealing with the substitutionary atonement of Christ. What he's really dealing with, and that was the council of Jerusalem in Acts 5, the issue that they were dealing with was Christ alone. What Paul is teaching is Christ alone, that you are justified out by, y'all used to be my favorite service. We are justified by faith, not religion, right? He says it's not Jesus plus circumcision. Praise God for that. It's not Jesus plus anything else. And they were excited about that. It's Jesus alone. And there were those who were saying, no, no, you can have Jesus, but you gotta still keep to that Mosaic covenant. You still gotta keep to the law. And Paul was saying, no, it's, it's done with. It's in Christ alone. And you see this sometimes with people, they're like, yeah, I'll add Jesus to the equation, whatever will help me get into heaven. I'll add a little bit of Jesus. And Paul says, no, you're missing it. It's not a bunch of stuff in Jesus, it's Jesus. It's not a religion, it's Jesus. It's a person who died for you. It's a person who did what none of us could do, live a life of perfection, so that when he stands before God, there is no evidence. That when Christ stands before God, there are no witnesses that can speak against him because on our behalf, he stands there perfect. I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say, he says, to these things? Many of you know the Flora family, Jim and Teresa Flora. We have a tremendous partnership with them in, in Africa, uh, missionaries to Lesotho. We began a partnership with them probably about eight years ago. And I remember it was crazy, the divine appointment, how the Lord did it, but we were praying in our missions. Darlene Gentry was our missions coach. There's Jim there. And we were praying about where the Lord was sending us. And I said, look, go pray about this. We're gonna come back together and we'll, we'll kind of talk then. We came back together and both of our hearts felt he was leading us to Africa. It was the weirdest thing. We had no idea what that meant. Weeks later, I get an email from him through our state convention who was working with uh, the, the Southern Baptist uh, Convention of Virginia and says, hey, we wanna send a visioning trip to Africa, a couple pastors, to go to Africa and just pray over the land, pray over, and see if it's where God's leading you. I was like, God, I wanted to go to Africa, but I didn't think it was gonna be this quick, right? Like now all of a sudden I'm real anxious, right? A 15 hour flight. I'm like, I don't like spending 15 hours in anyone. So 15 hours. But then when you get there, Johannesburg, now, you, now you're getting in the car and driving eight more hours. I'm like, really, Lord? Like, like could, uttermost parts of the earth couldn't be a little bit closer. So anyway, we go and we get to Johannesburg. And his wife, Teresa, and the girls, he's rehab, she's rehabbing a shoulder surgery. So he's like, man, it's just gonna be me and you. And Bob Bunch was one of our guys that went with us. And so us three, we drive the eight hour trip down to his house, that's his kitchen there in Lesotho. And before we got there, we went to the butcher shop. And I'm like, man, this is the most meat I've ever seen in my life. Like I like a good steak, but I'm not used to eating meat three times a day. He was cooking steak in the morning, steak at lunch, steak at night. It was a man meals like for a whole week. I gained 12 pounds on a mission trip, okay? <laughs> I came home, Amber's like, you were in Africa and you gained, anyway, another story. But this guy's heart, man, he's with Jesus right now. 63 years old, he passed away just a couple weeks ago. Pastor Kyle and Kim were able to go to a service. And I just remember just being overwhelmed by this guy. That he would pick up his family in his late 50s, have grown children. They've now adopted three girls, two from Haiti, one from India. And they've taken their three adopted girls and they're living in this village in Africa. I remember being so humbled, like thinking to myself, yeah, I think my walk with Jesus is hard. 
Like, would I be willing to pick up my family and, and move to a place of, of no, not knowing the language, not knowing the people for the purpose of the gospel? And I saw this man's heart, and it was Jesus alone, because Kyle will tell you, who has been there many times, uh, in that culture, like, they'll just add anything they want. Like, okay, you got some Jesus, that might help me with God, so I'll just add some Jesus to the equation. And Jim was adamant, no, you understand, it's not Jesus plus, you know, the rituals of your ancestors, it's Jesus. And this man went to be with the Lord. And I thought to myself, he must have heard that statement, man. He must have heard that statement. And I think that's the prayer for all of us, right? To stand before our God and to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I love Jim and Teresa Flora, but I thought about him this week as I was preparing this message because of his heart to get into those villages and preach Christ alone. I remember riding on those horses. He's like, don't look down. It's like the most elevated place of all time. He's like, don't look down. And guess what I did? I looked down, and that horse was the, I mean, I, to be able to walk on the side of those mountains, like my respect for those starving horses like went all the way through the roof. Like these dudes were unbelievable. And I'm just like, dude, if you fall, I fall with you, okay? And God's hand was upon that horse. His name was Henry, I remember that horse. And me and Henry spent some time with Jesus. But I watched Jim go to these villages that had never heard of Jesus before. I remember walking into a village. We had horseback three hours to this place. The thing about that, three hours to get to some other people. And I had kids running up to me, rubbing my arms. And I'm like, what are you doing? They'd never seen a white dude before. And I'm like, I am sorry that I'm the representative for all white guys. Like, <laughs> I apologize. It gets better than this, so just don't judge it. So anyway, I just remember... Jim Flora's heart to preach this. I thought of him this, this week as I was thinking of Paul. Look at what he says in verse 31, because this was his thing, Jesus alone. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Notice that word, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now in the original language, the word if really is better translated since or because. And so that changes the entire statement. Paul's not asking a question, he is making a statement. If you put there, because God is for us, since God is for us, then who can be against us? The point is, do we believe that God is the greatest power of this universe, is what Paul is saying. If you believe that God is the greatest power of this universe, and you believe that you have access to that God through a savior, through someone who died in your place, if you believe he's the greatest power, then what other power could be against us? See what I'm saying? It's an unfair fight for the enemy. It's an unfair fight because even in our mistakes, God is sovereign to work all things out to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The enemy must be frustrated because even in our missteps, God is sovereign over that. And I think about the Bible and you go through and you see characters who just drive this in that they may not feel it, right, but they preach it to themselves. And I read this week of someone asking me as a pastor, what am I preaching? I preach the gospel on Sunday. Do I preach the gospel on Monday morning to myself? Like, do I start at the gospel? Do I start at the place of old wretched man that I am and then begin to put stakes in the ground that are black and white? The enemy works in the gray area. Let me put some stakes in the ground that God's word tells me that I don't have to question. I don't have to wonder. I'm putting stakes in the ground. And you see it all throughout God's word. David, David fleeing for his life, not knowing if he was gonna have another day on this earth and what is he doing? He is putting statements of truth. He is preaching to himself of who his God is. Listen to these verses. Psalm 27, one. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
And there's fear there. I believe David was writing that in fear, but putting statements of truth, of faith, of who it can be against me if my God is for me. He says in the next part, the Lord is the strength of my life, whom shall I be afraid? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 46. Let's do something here. Let's take a little journey, Psalm 46. Psalm 46 has been ministering to me in a mighty way. And I want you to hear these words. You may be in chaos, you may be in storms, and I want you to hear Paul is saying to these believers, remember who he's writing to, first century Christians in Rome. Do you know what was happening or getting ready to happen to first century Christians in Rome? And so he's writing them, encouraging them by the power of the Holy Spirit to stay in the faith, to know these things. And listen to Psalm 46. God is our refuge and, say it with me. Here we go. God is our refuge and hear this. Hear this this morning. A very present help in trouble. He ain't far off. That if you're in Christ right now, in the Lord, he is a very present help in trouble. So this is the stake we're gonna drive down. If that is true, then this must be true. Look at the verses. Therefore, do you see that? What is therefore? You always ask that question, what is therefore? Therefore is connecting us. If this is true about my God, therefore, therefore we will not fear. That is just some people's stake right there tomorrow morning. You may be dealing with fear. Hey, wake up tomorrow morning, claim those three sentences right there. My God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore I will not fear, amen. Lord, I'm walking out in that, in that truth. Lord, I'm walking out in that, I am preaching that to me as I go out to be lied to by the world to be lied to by my emotions, to be lied to by my sinful flesh. I am putting on truth as I walk into the battlefield. Here's what he says. Even though the earth be moved and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with a swelling, there is a river whose streams may make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of her. He shall not be moved, God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is, say it with me. The Lord of hosts is? Therefore, he's gonna keep going. Here we go. If that is true, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Therefore, 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 I will be... It's the hardest thing to do and it sounds like it's the hardest thing to say as well. I will be... David is saying there's chaos. Chaos, mountains are crumbling, there's waters that are raging, but my God is my strength and my refuge, therefore I will be still. It's the hardest thing, man. Doesn't say I'm gonna go fix it. I'm gonna go in my own way, figure out a clever way to manipulate the situation. I'm gonna carry it myself and allow it to consume me and become my idol because when I go to bed at night, I can assure you that Jesus was not on my mind more than the things that I was going through. And so David says what? In the midst of all this, let's put some stakes in the ground. In the midst of all this, this is what I see. I look through the lens that my God is over it all. 
that he's in it and he's a very present help. Therefore, it leads me to be still and know he is God. That's a whole nother sermon. I'm sorry for that. Let's keep going. Here's the question. You may be sitting there and going, well, how do you know? That sounds great. God is for us, then who can be a God of the universe on my side? Sounds great. How do I know that? Like, I don't know about you, but I was a tester. I was, I was the kid that tested everything. You tell me the stove is hot, guess what I'm gonna go do? That was me, right? My dad would preach something, I'd come home and I'd have verses ready for him. And I'm like, dad, what about this? And what about this? And it was not for my spiritual well-being. It was me just trying to argue with my dad and win an argument. And I never won an argument, but I always tried. How do you know this? How do you know this? Okay, how do you know this? Well, he reveals it in the very next line. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him? How shall he not with him also freely give? Notice that phrase, it means to bestow graciously, to give out of grace. It's the Greek word cherish. It's a grace gift to freely give us all things. What is Paul doing? He's working from the greater to the lesser. And he says this, if God has already given us the greatest thing, how could he not give us the rest? That if you're questioning the faithfulness of God, the power of God, go to the greatest thing. Go to the cross. Like this is where we preach the gospel to ourselves from beginning to end throughout the day. We start there because if God has done this for me, then I'm not gonna be wrestling with this stuff out here because he's already done the greatest work. He's forgiven me of my sins and allowed me to walk in Christ. How could he not? I don't know about you, but I've missed that a lot of times. Like my salvation is there and I know what he's done and I'm overwhelmed by that, but I start getting out here and I'm looking through the lens of all this stuff out here and missing what the God of this universe has already done for me. I'm gonna show you a picture. This is a couple years ago. This is my little guy. This is Tristan. A couple years ago, he's a lot bigger now. He goes by fast. But I just finished the yard and he wanted to help. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're asking. There's gonna come a day that I'm sitting inside sipping tea and you're gonna be doing everything everything. But right now you can bring your fake stuff and really not help me at all. But he's got his fake leaf blower there. Let me ask you this question. If I gave you that, which I never would for none of you, I love you, but you ain't getting my kid. I'll tell you that. I ain't God. You ain't getting my kid. But let's say I did give you what was most precious to me. Do you not think that if I gave you my son, I'd also give you his leaf blower as well? Like, do you really think I'd say, here, take my son, but no, 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 no. You don't get the stuff that my son owns. You don't get the stuff that he comes with him. Isn't that ridiculous? Paul is saying, listen, if God gave us his son, if God gave us what was most precious, don't you think he's gonna give us a leaf blower as well? And you can substitute the phrase leaf blower for a lot of things there that we anticipate and that we're praying that we're asking for God and we can get discouraged and frustrated in that and it can even affect our faithfulness. Because God, I'm not seeing you show up. I'm praying for this and I'm not seeing you working. Really, let's go back to the cross. And if God gave us him, he's gonna give us his leaf blower, but he's perfect in how he does it. He's perfect in how he shapes it and he's perfect in how he times it. And many times it doesn't align with our plan. Praise God for that, can I get amen? The great theologian Garth Brooks, praise God for unanswered prayers. Great theology in that song. We're gonna play it right now. I'm just kidding, here we go, verse 32. I love verse 30. Let's go to verse 33 now. He's dealing with, okay, can a person come against God? 
Can someone bring something in God's courtroom? And this is where we now picture the scene. Look at verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Have you ever dealt with guilt? Anyone here ever dealt with guilt? Guilt can be crippling. Here is God saying, okay, if there's no condemnation for my child, not even guilt can be laid upon him. It's been paid for. It's been, it's been accomplished. And so here we are in the courtroom of God and God as the judge is looking at us with all the evidence that the accuser is bringing and it's true and we stand guilty. But then the, God, the judge speaks and the judge says these words, who shall bring a charge? That phrase there in the original language is a legal term. It literally means to call in. It's like subpoena. Who could subpoena me before the judge to bring a charge against me? And look at what he says. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. And the word literally means to be declared not guilty. So here's the picture. We're in the courtroom. There's God in all of his holiness and all of his perfection as the judge of the universe. The prosecuting attorney walks in and he's got material. And for some of you, he's got bags of material. For all of us, he's got bags of material. Our heart drops because he starts putting charts up, right? He, start, he starts putting the pictures up. Now he's bringing witnesses. And I'm like, that dude, really? Don't ask him about me. Her, you know, so now there's witnesses there. And so it's just being lined up and lined up and lined up and there's this whole pile of gunk before holy God. And our defend, defending attorney steps forth and says, I've paid for him. I've paid for all this. Look at my hands. And in that moment, right, we stand not accused, we stand cleared. We stand holy, we stand perfect, not because I got the scales out and I tried to live a good life. My work should follow my relationship with Jesus, but my works do not save me, right? I stand before God now covered in what Christ has done for me. And so here's Paul saying, who can bring a charge against God in God's courtroom? It is God's courtroom. It is God who determines who is guilty and not guilty. And if you're standing in the courtroom of God in your faith in Christ, you are standing before the judge being said, not guilty, not guilty paid in full. Look at verse 34. He just keeps adding. <laughs> who is he who condemns? And then he gives the reason why we can celebrate in the courtroom of God. It is Christ who died. Listen for things that he did. Christ who died, who is also risen, who is now sitting at the right hand of God doing what? Making intercession for us? Paul says, just in case if you're wondering that it's a religion that stands, that gets you justified before, let me remind you that it's Christ. It was he who died. It was he who was risen. It is he who has now the most highly exalted position in the universe, the right hand of God. It is he who right now in this present moment is interceding for me. Hey God, he's mine. Father, he's ours. I got him. I paid for him. He's encouraging these believers that God is powerful enough to save you. God is powerful enough to keep you. What person could bring a charge against a child of God? It is God who justifies. What person can bring uh, something against a child? It is God who determines. And we stand before a holy God in Christ. I love this. Philippians 2, 8, being found in appearance that a man, he humbled himself, Christ did. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul says he died. 
He risen, therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he intercedes for us. Like that, that has captivated me this week. The word intercede means to intervene on behalf of another. I'm gonna give you a passage. I'm gonna encourage you to go back and even read it this week. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7, around verse 24. I'll put it up there. I want you to hear these words. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And so here's the picture of Christ as our high priest standing before the Father, the judge. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who was holy, harmless, undefiled. Do you see the exchange? Separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for his people. For this he did once and for all. For this he did once and for all. He offered himself up. No more sacrifices needed. The Lamb of God sacrificed himself upon the cross for you and I. So I stand before you to say the words of Paul, man, the perfect priest offering a perfect sacrifice to deny the security and the sufficiency of the work of Jesus is to deny the truth of God's word. That he is powerful enough to save us, to keep us, to bring us to that place where we will stand before him like some of our brothers and sisters here lately who have been close to our church because there will come a day that we'll all stand there. And it's appointed a time to be born, appointed a time to die. It's already set. You can't do nothing about it and I can't either before the foundations of this earth. And there'll come a day that we all stand before the judge in the courtroom of God. And there's gonna be plenty of material that can be used against us. And the question is not gonna be, does the good outweigh the bad, because I can answer that for you. The question is going to be, are you standing in your own stuff? Are you, can you say that I'm in Jesus Christ, my Savior, who did what I couldn't do, and he conquered the grave? And the Bible says for those who stand before the throne in Christ, we will stand there holy, think about that, blameless, above reproach, as if we lived the life that Jesus lived. We will stand before the judge and be declared not guilty. With every head bowed and every eye closed. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That little phrase there, if we confess our sins, literally means when we see our sins the way he does. When we come to that place to look through the lens that God looks through when we see the stuff in our lives. Not comparing it to other people, to other family members, but before a holy God. To stand there and to say, Lord, I see this the way you see this. And it's not pretty. And I have no power over it. 
And so, Lord, by your power and by my submission and by my surrender, Lord, I declare truth of who you are and what you have promised to do. Whether I see it or not, whether I feel it or not, I am putting the stakes in the ground and I am walking in between that line of truth. I'm not going to get outside of it. Whether I see it or not, I'm not going to get outside of it. And may I look through the lens of your greatest purpose in my life. Number one, if you don't know him, his greatest desire is for you to know him. <laughs> to come to a place of recognition again of your sins, but to come to a place of seeing a savior who died for your sins and by faith calling upon his name, Jesus. But now in that journey that many of you are on, it's like fighting upstream. The world's against us. Our flesh is against us. Our feelings are against us. But if God is for us, then who is any match? What are we preaching to ourselves each day? Do you declare truth in your life each day? Or is there a record player of doubts and fear and questions? Bible says, in my trust comes joy and peace. In my trust comes joy and peace. I wonder how many in this room who know the Lord look upon the story of those disciples in a sea with the wind raging and the waters crashing and you feel like you're going under. There may be some of you here today that feel that way. May we lift our eyes and see the God who is standing upon the storm May we see the God who is orchestrating it all for the good of those who love him. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that you are our strength and our refuge. We thank you, Lord, that you're a very present help, that you are here right now, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And so I pray that each person in this room who knows you recognizes they are never alone. God of this universe is walking with them. And Lord, may we start there. That if you gave us your son, what would you withhold now? That if you met our greatest need, would you not meet our personal daily needs? If you've solved my sin problem, then may I rest in knowing that you've got the rest of them under control as well. May I be still, feel your presence, enjoy your fellowship, enjoy the intimacy of just blocking everything else out, just resting in the arms of a father that cannot, will not let us down. May we run to you, not from you in our questions. May we run to you, not from you you are faithful. We give you praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all of God's people said, amen.